We want to look at the first three verses of chapter 13 today, <clears throat> having been led into that by the uh, latter part of chapter 12. We saw at the end of chapter 12, Paul saying that we should pursue the most helpful gifts, but that love must permeate everything we do and every gift we use, which the breaks of the first two verses make that very plain, as we'll talk about. Um, so we want to be helpful, we want gifts, but we, but we must realize then that the motivation behind every gift we use to serve is that we love both God and the person that we are dealing with. And without that, we, we will see that we have some problems. For us to love in a way that pleases the Lord, our love must first reflect biblical love. Not love as the world defines it. As we kind of introduced the subject of love last week, we reminded ourselves that when we talk about love in Scripture, we're talking about what the Bible teaches us love is, what the Lord has established as love, not just uh, what the world, the culture around us tell us is love, because those are two diametrically opposed things. And if you get that wrong, it has led to a lot of confusion in the church for sure. So we laid out, uh, began to lay out last week the look at love in relationship to spiritual gifts. Because the Corinthians problem we want to keep before us is that they were exercising gift, gifts, uh, that serving gifts, in, but they were not loving one another and it was creating nothing but uh, an ungodly situation. One in which God was actually causing People to die and to be sick and weak because of the different things that they were doing. And so, uh, the, we had this great object lesson of what Paul is saying today. So first of all, what love is opposed to, how love is often defined in the world, and that it must be the motivation. Uh, excuse me, let me, let me put the right emphasis there. First of all, we see that what love is opposed to how love is often defined in the world. Again, we, we started that last week. The love of Scripture, the love that means anything to the Lord, is a love that is motivated by our love for God, for He has shown us love, and that love in Christ is now shed abroad in our hearts, because I as a sinner, undeserved sinner, has been touched by God. I must not look down on anybody else, but treat people as I have been treated by Christ. And that is the love that must permeate and motivate all that we do. Even every activity and interaction. Otherwise, it is not pleasing to the Lord. And I, and I think we'll try to break. It doesn't mean that the Lord can't use unloving activity. We'll see. But it, but we're talking about what uh, is it pleasing to him in, in my heart. Am I pleasing him? So today we want to look specifically at some examples that Paul uses in these first three verses of people or the the uh, ability to to serve, to do things, and not to do things in a way that pleases the Lord. Now what has been said in verse 1 in terms of the gift of tongues can be said for any other gift as well. So he's he he starts with tongues because tongues is kind of the main point of all this that that gift that has been used uh, in a way to for people to look at me uh, that I want tongues because I want to have the position that person has I want to have the to have people look at me and to be elevated in the church 
this idea that having tongues was really what the, what everybody had to have. Again, that, that kind of describes in many ways the charismatic movement today, that if you don't have tongues, you haven't reached a certain level, right? But really, uh, while he mentions tongues, and in the first two verses he mentions tongues, uh, prophecies, understanding mysteries and knowledge and faith, uh, it, it applies to any gift. He's just using some here as an example. Any gift exercised, though, primarily for the benefit of the one who is gifted, not, not the one who are serving, but the, but the one who is exercising the gift, is a prostitution of the gift. Because a gift is given to serve others, not to be self-serving. And so if, if that's why you do anything, then obviously you're not being motivated by love. And, and it's uh, and, and we'll see here what Paul has to say about that. Love seeks to serve others to their benefit. And, and generally speaking, at the sacrifice of the one who does love. True love is willing to be sacrificed in order to help its object. And we'll, we'll define love more uh, in subsequent messages. But we need to keep that in mind. And this is the kind of ministry that blesses others. Self-serving, self-promoting ministry uh, is a pain to others. But it is not something that is, it is something that is endured, but that's about as far as it goes. And everybody knows, it doesn't take long, usually, for people to see that when you do something, you have your own interest in mind. You know, you've got an angle. I want something in return, and that, that has no place in Christian service. And so the Corinthians wrongly measure their own significance by the gifts that they possessed. Now, were this false assumption granted even for a moment, Paul shows that without love, the greatest, even the greatest gift, the greatest exercise of that gift, really makes one a nobody. So, you are not um, measured by what gifts you have. You are measured, especially by God, by how you, you exercise that gift. And so, in verse 1, and notice, we're going to notice in each one of these, these he's, Paul is speaking in hyperbole. And if you don't know what a hy- the word a hyperbole or hyperbole means, uh, it's, it's to speak, uh, to overstate something, right? And so, he's saying, if these gifts are exercised in the highest state that they could be, in the, in the most perfect fashion, it doesn't matter if you aren't uh, doing so in love. Now, he says here, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Right? So, it, on the surface, it sounds pretty obvious, but but what's the tongue of, of men and angels? Well, we know what the tongue of men, men are. We, those are languages. You know, the, the tongues and acts are languages, unknown languages, by the one who is exercising the gift, usually. Uh, but what's the tongue of, of, of angels? And there are some who have immediately read this and ran off with the idea that well, the gift of tongues is when we speak in the tongues of angels or in the the language that they're using in heaven as it were. And so they, they, but this is not a a phrase that is definitive. He's not trying to define what tongues are. We already know what tongues are for the most part. He's saying that if I spoke in the highest form of language that man can, can speak or if I spoke, again, hyperbole, even in the language of heaven, 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I spoke with perfect, we might say perfect English, perfect grammar. You know, I spoke everything just right. I wasn't, I didn't uh, say like at every, uh, every other word like so many do today, like this and like that, or, or I didn't say uh between half my words, you know. Uh, I, I spoke properly. The highest form. If I don't have love, then it means nothing. We notice that all three of these verses, he refers to the ultimate display of these gifts, even including faith and the giving of one's life, martyrdom, as the ultimate thing I can do. If I have a gift and I exercise it perfectly, it doesn't mean anything to the Lord if I don't love him, if I'm not doing it because I love him, and I'm doing it because I love the ones that I might be ministering too. And, and that's extremely important. That's the essence of Christianity in so many ways. And so if I spoke in the very language that was used in heaven, it doesn't automatically mean that my speech is accomplishing anything. One would assume that sinless angels speak perfectly in heaven. You know, they're not saying uh and like and all that kind of stuff. They're speaking perfectly. But but that's not the point. He, he's using it as a hyperbole. And in the latter part of verse 1, I think it's particularly biting because it's not just that, well, he says, you know, if, if I can speak in tongues perfectly, but if I don't have love, he says, it's just noise. And that should be particularly biting, right, to these, these Corinthians who were thinking that, that speaking in tongues was all that matters in, in many ways. So he says, it's like a gong or a, a clanging cymbal. But the interesting thing about that, especially that the Corinthians would have picked up on, is that that is, was used, those things were used in pagan worship. So it's not that he's, he's not just using an illustration that, well, it's just so much noise. It is certainly that. But he says you might as well be over in the pagan ser- uh, worship service and doing, making noise over there for all the good you're doing. If we, if we exercise gifts for the flesh or in pride, they have no value to the Lord. And we're no different than the unsaved. And it's a biting thing. That's something to think about. Can, one can speak in tongues and yet accomplish nothing, at least as far as the speaker is concerned and, and pleasing the Lord. Having such a gift in and of itself is not what we are to be pursuing. So when Paul says, pursue the greater gifts, and we'll we'll get more to that when we get into chapter fourteen. Um, but when he says that, he's he's not just saying that all that matters is just pursue the, the the biggest, most helpful gifts or whatever. There's there's a certain way that you pursue those. Things. There's a certain reason why you pursue them that that must permeate this, or nothing matters. Rights and activity alone are not what God desires. God does not desire us to be religious. And, it, and so you see, this was, of course, the big problem with Israel in the Old Testament. They were religious. They, they went through their religious duties in the sacrifices, but they didn't, in their heart, it didn't mean anything to them. They weren't, it wasn't significant to them. And God says, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm offended by it. He's offended when we do things, but we don't do it for the right reason. We don't do it with a heart full of thankfulness to the Lord, and 
were not motivated by the gospel. And really, the, probably the, the easiest way to say all this is that we must be motivated by the gospel, by Christ and his love for me. I love because God first loved me. Verse 2 then, we see here that it applies not just to tongues, but even when what we say is quite understandable. It, um, he says, if I have prophetic power, so here's the gift of prophecy, here's the, here's the gift of preaching, I have the ability to speak uh, in perfection. I'm, I'm a perfect communicator. And I understand all the mysteries. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm able to communicate perfectly. It, it doesn't change anything. Now, I, it doesn't mean that the people aren't being edified. Yeah, it's certainly possible for anybody, people who really have doctrinal problems, maybe aren't good communicators, you know, stumble with all their words and so forth. And they can, they can communicate. What does he say here? It's, it doesn't say that, well, you haven't communicated. No, you've communicated perfectly. You have all faith, but he says, I am nothing. He says, if I, if this, because he's talking about himself, if I communicate perfectly, but my motivation is wrong, you've been edified, perhaps, if the Lord sees, sees fit to bless, but I am nothing. So the point is, have I pleased God? Is there a reward for me? For doing things the way for, to, to please the Lord, because there's no reward if we don't please the Lord, if we if we aren't serving the Lord. And so we see here that this applies to all the um, gifts. It's, it's not just about rights and activities that no one understands, or the beauty in which we do it, but it applies even to the good and profitable things we do. Because with tongues, you know, that, that, if there's no interpreter, no one would understand what you're saying anyway, but this is even preaching, uh, is, is, is open communication. So, you see how it applies to all these things. It's one of the most profitable gifts. And at the beginning of chapter 14, Paul says that prophecy is the most profitable gift because it conveys the ultimate truth of God's word and will, right? He says this in, in chapter 14, pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a faithful teaching of God's word and proclamation of it, what do you have? For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he understands mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who speaks, who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement. And consolation. <clears throat> and so, uh, prophecy is the most profitable gift in Paul's mind because it conveys the ultimate truth of God's word. But it seems clear that simply telling tr- someone truth is not all there is to preaching, to teaching, to, to edifying. For God to be pleased with our efforts, our reason for conveying truth must be the right reasons. Again, Conveying truth might be profitable for that person, but it isn't pleasing. You aren't pleasing the Lord. Your motivation is wrong. And that kind of ratchets all this up a notch. Um, The most useful things must be done properly. In other words, it matters why I'm doing what I'm doing. It it matters. You you think, well, I, I gave my tithe today. 
I've done my duty. No, not not if you did it, not because you love the Lord. And be, you know, yes, it's your duty, but if, if you don't do it because you love the Lord, because you want to see His work uh, increase and 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 go forth, then uh, you haven't pleased the Lord. God isn't interested in you just doing something because it's your duty. You do it because you love Him. So one can understand the Bible perfectly and yet not understand it at all to, to, to a degree. You understand all mysteries, but you really don't get it. You don't understand the point of it. <clears throat> so this verse, uh, these verses don't say that those who hear it can't be blessed, as I said. But that the one doing it is not as spiritual as he thinks he is and, and it will find no reward in it. And notice uh, again the personal pronouns and at the end of all three sections here. I'm a noisy gong. I am nothing. I, um, I gain nothing at the end of verse three. So that's what we, that's what he's wanting to impress upon us. That this is about whether your service to the Lord is acceptable to him. <clears throat> the Lord's work should go forth. And, and thank God he uses imperfect vessels. But he wants, if, if it's done in, a, in the right way, he's using vessels that are doing so out of love for the Lord. I once had a pastor <clears throat> um, who... Uh, I think, I know loves the Lord. He's, I don't think he's pastor anymore. He's, he's, uh, retired, but I know he loves the Lord. I know he loves God's people. And he was faithful to preach the Bible as well as he knew for, for many, many years. But he, he, I think he, he dropped the ball in this particular point because it's one thing to love somebody, but it's another thing to demonstrate that love in a proper way. And he had the idea because he could often be very hard and cold and tactless when he spoke the truth. And I did, I believe he did speak the truth as best as he understood it. But he, he felt that as long as I'm speaking the truth, then you should be happy. And it shouldn't matter how I say it. And if I say a little gruff, if I say it kind of tactless, you should be thankful that I uh, you know, did that, and it, well, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately, very often. Yes, we should accept the truth no matter how it's delivered to us, to a degree, but we have a, we, if you love somebody, you're telling them something, the truth, to help them, not to beat them over the head with it, right? And so it could, it could be, that could be a case where you're not exercising the truth in, in real love, and it's not benefiting anybody. And I saw many times that it would drive people drive people off because he couldn't just sit down and, say, and, and show his love for them and do so in a loving way. He just kind of beat them over the head with, with, with you know, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, and didn't didn't go over well. So there's a way in which we can exercise, we can have love. There's a right way, I think, to exercise love, and I think we'll get to that a little bit as we go into the next few verses. Well, anyway, you can have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries. And, and, of course, in the Bible, mysteries speak of things hidden, but at some point revealed. There's no mystery in the Bible that isn't eventually revealed. And so he's not talking about mysterious things. <clears throat> this isn't saying that 
you can you can understand mysterious things that nobody else can understand. No, you understand the great mysteries of the Old Testament, for instance, the the shadows and the types, and you're able to to explain them. So I think it's connected to prophecy, <clears throat> and yet you can do it. And it's not in a profitable way. You know how it is when you need to know some vital information and you you seek out an expert to help you. But if at the other end is somebody who uh, knows it all and wants you to know that he knows it all and really does, all he's interested in is this, is this uh, explaining things to you and not, not that you really learn, eh, that's a, you know, that's not profitable. So we want to make sure that when we when we are explaining things, you have the gift of, of understanding. Again, I think it goes to the teachers, to the preachers especially, that we do so. I'm not up here just trying to pound facts into your head. I want you to understand what the, the meaning behind the doctrines of God, what, what it's supposed to do for us, how it's supposed to transform us, what God wants us to know. And I think this is part of it. See, Christianity is not just me asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I can go my merry way. Christianity is to be transformed by the power of God and to learn to love God more than life itself. See, that's the mystery behind the, the doctrine. And a lot of people see Christianity as just another religion or as a fire escape from hell and they really don't understand what the Bible's about. What, why God is saving a people. The, the whole concept of, the, of a sovereign God who is doing all this for his own glory is almost ignored in many cases. So, so it's possible to, to, to be a teacher and not understand what you're, te- what you're teaching. Kind of like the Pharisees who believe themselves to be everything that they should be before God and look down upon everybody else because they didn't get it. They didn't understand what it was. Instead of helping people bring them up to their supposed godly level, they just tried to, they just kept them down and exalted themselves in pride. They just didn't get it. And they weren't, the shows they weren't at the level they thought themselves to be. You see, if we really understand God's word and we have faith to do whatever is needed, as, as he goes on to say, I have Again, these are all hyperbole, so it's the, the highest level. So in this case, I have the highest level of faith so that I can, as Jesus said, move mountains. Whatever needs to be done, I have the faith to do it. But have not love. I am nothing. If we really understand God's word and have such faith that we can do whatever is needed in God's service, then we will be encouraging and helping uh, everybody else. It's not self-serving. Whatever God has given me, and understanding has given me, is to be used to help other people understand and to, to move on. And other people to be encouraged, to be strong in trials, to be full of joy. And so you don't need to see me uh, <clears throat> daily. <clears throat> My disposition changes daily depending on how I feel or depending on what's going on. You need to see me constantly full of the joy of the Lord, and I need to see that in you. Now, it doesn't mean that we, we have rough days, but when you have a rough day, I need to see that you're still rejoicing in Christ. Your, your faith is still in Christ, right? 
can certainly add humility to all this. Love per- puts others first, and, and this we'll see, especially in verses 4 through 6. So Paul is certainly not disparaging biblical knowledge. He's not saying that, well, you can know everything, but it doesn't really matter if you don't love people. So he said, if you don't have love, if you're not motivated by love. Again, that's an easy trip, uh, problem people have fallen into. Doctrine doesn't matter. Preaching doesn't matter. Just, we gotta love everybody. Well, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that preaching, uh, prophecy is the greatest gift, most profitable gift. But it must be exercised in love. Again, biblical love. So you see how people can twist and turn some of these uh, different uh, things, sections. Philippians 1.9 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge, not just so they can know a bunch of stuff, but they can be uh, excellent and pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So you see how it all goes back to the love of God. Now this isn't meant then to confuse or discourage us when he says uh, that, well, you know, if you don't have love, it's, it doesn't matter. And, and it's, it's not, he's not saying this as if, um, it's possible for us just not to really do anything of any account. He's just reminding us that don't get the cart before the horse. Make sure that what you do, you're doing for the right reason. Develop your love for Christ first and love Him supremely. And then everything will flow from that. It's, it's, a, it's very simple to grasp. It's not so simple to work out, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I said simple, not easy. It's not easy, but it, it's, it, it's the concepts aren't that difficult. What we know is that loving as we ought to is. Christianity, then, is not moralism, charity, behavior modification, learning for learning's sake. Even though it involves all that to some degree, it involves morality and charity or love, behavior, uh, it involves learning, right? Church is not just social interaction. It is for God, Christianity is for God to indwell us and conform us to his image that we might be little image bearers of him. That That's the essence of Christianity. That's our faith. And anything that gets, that, that, that makes Christianity is about eschatology or, or all these other things I mentioned, if you don't understand it is Christ in me. It is me to uh, know God and to be transformed by that knowledge. It's not us deciding to become a Christian. You, you can't decide to become a Christian anyway. Because God must make the first move. He must draw us to himself anyway. So it's not just your decision to decide one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a Christian. I'm going to obey Jesus or follow Jesus. No, it is God getting hold of you, not you getting hold of God. As soon as I make preaching about me and being told what a good preacher I am or what the size of the membership is, which is still making it about me, you see, I've ceased to preach and exercise my gift out of love. And God might... 
he might edify the people to some degree through that in spite of me, but I'm not relying upon the Spirit. I'm not doing it for the right reason. You know, think about Balaam. He was a prophet of God, but he loved himself more. You know, he, he conveyed the word of God, but he didn't like what he was conveying. He really wanted money. Right? God used him to do his work, but Balaam received no reward. Not, not in the next life. So what we all must train ourselves to do is to recognize the motivation behind our speech and actions. And that's really what Paul is saying. Whether it be our gifts or anything else we're doing. Are we looking for credit, the advantage, some sort of honor? As Jesus says, we will have our reward in this life. He said that of the Pharisees. They have their reward, but it's in this life. You know, they have honor and pride and people respect them and they've got their money, whatever they've got, their power. But at death, it's gone. The Lord can use what we do for good, for the good of his work and others. But are we pleasing him? You know, I don't want to just be a tool for the Lord. I mean, we are tools in a sense, right? But I don't want to just be a tool. You know, a hammer is a tool. And you can, whether it wants or not, beat the nail at that thing over and over again. I don't want to just be a hammer, some hard-headed hammer that the Lord, you know, I'm getting the work done for the Lord, but I'm not doing it as a faithful, loving servant, right? I want to be a child of God that's in partnership with the Lord in that sense. So on the one hand, I'm glad that the Lord can use me in lives even when my motivations are less than what they should be, because I, you know I don't think any of us have perfect motivations, and I know I struggle with that as much as anybody. But our goal should be to be servants that please the Lord, not the hard-headed tool that just gets the job done with no vested interest. The hammer doesn't care if the nail gets driven in or not, right? That's just a hammer. But if we're Christians, right? If we have, if we've been given life, we want to be part of the work. In partnership with Christ. So as a church, we don't want the Lord to, to see a lot of commotion in the church, but little use in the kingdom of God, right? I want him to see a useful body, loving him with all of our hearts, praying with all of our hearts, loving each other with all of our hearts, studying his word with all of our hearts. Kind of like partners, spouses are partners. Right, I want to. I want to be working with the Lord because I love Him. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and it wasn't because he walked around so consumed with his own problems that he was just crying about everything because he was in such misery. Uh, he had a lot to cry about. He 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 did live in misery. He, he was let down in a, a small cistern and left for dead, and he had a lot of problems, but. The weeping prophet was because he was concerned about the people of God, about their sin, about judgment coming upon them. Let's just read a little bit here of Jeremiah. I want us to see, is this the motivation that I have? My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of the people from the length and breadth of the land. So his grief is not because I'm in pain or I'm going through some kind of problem, it's the, the people of God and their sinfulness. Is the Lord in Zion? Is her king not in her? 
Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Oh, that my head were watered, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah cared about the condition of God's people. That's what caused him to weep. That's what brought about his ministry. He cared. He loved them. And that's what, and let's be honest. What brings about our weeping? What brings about our emotional distress if we, if we ever have any, right? Is it, is it my circumstances? And yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to weep and to be in distress when calamity comes upon you. But what kind of just, what about when we see problems in the lives of God's people or sin in people's lives and we see the calamity that sin has brought? Do we weep like Jeremiah? <laughs> see, that, that proves that, his, that love was what was behind his ministry. It wasn't just doing it because I had to do it. I don't really care. You know, y'all can just uh, go to Babylon. I don't care. You know, no, he loved God's people. And that's what brought about the weeping. So you might think I'm getting maybe a little off the subject with spiritual gifts of love. But I don't think so because love can only be expressed by serving others. By, by doing something for somebody. <coughs> Is Paul not saying by inference that we can pray in the most heavenly of languages, and in a sense they are bouncing off the ceiling because we're really only praying for our own interest. See? Romans 9.1 I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, not because I get, I've been stoned, because... Uh, I get thrown out of the synagogue because I got the people over in Corinth telling me I'm not even an apostle and woe is me. All that happened, right? What causes his great sorrow and ceasing anguish of heart? For I wish I could be myself be a curse and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to their flesh. He had a burden for the Lord's work and for, and for people's souls. That's what bothered him. So we gotta be careful that we're not just so consumed with our own little life, our own little, you know, problems that we forget why we are here. Paul's condition was secondary to what motivated him and what consumed his prayers. And I think this calls for constant examination. I think these three verses here in 1 Corinthians, one of the points is that we have to examine ourselves, that the Corinthians have to examine themselves. You guys, have, have a church that looks much more like a, a pagan church, pagan services. What's wrong here? And it, and it goes back to your motivation. So you can believe the word completely and use it wrongly. The second part of, of chapter, of verse two, I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. I have all knowledge. You can manage your spiritual needs in such a way as to overcome them your faith in moving mountains, but you ignore the fact that you're, uh, 
of, of your brother in need. Your brother's struggling with the same thing. You uh, are strong in the faith, but you don't have any concern for your brother or sister and their struggles. We're almost done here, but this uh, Jonah, I think, offers another example of one who is caught up in the politics of the day, who uh, hated, he didn't love, but it, he was preaching God's word, and he was faithfully preaching God's word, right? But he hated the Ninevites. I mean, let's face it, they were a murderous, vicious, ungodly people. I have no problem understanding why Jonah didn't want to go. Because he was thinking about himself and about his people and how they had treated Israel. And he didn't want them to repent. He wanted God's judgment on them. And yet he goes and he's preaching repentance and they do repent and they are for a time saved. His motivations were completely off the wall. Right? But that's what chapter 4 is. As God is, is reminding Jonah of what grace and mercy is and uh, teaching Jonah to love his enemies. Now whether Jonah ever got the, you know, ever repented or not, we don't know. Although I, I tend to think that when God is teaching a lesson, he probably, it probably is effective. But he's certainly teaching us that, right though. But I don't want to be like Jonah, at least in the first three chapters. I don't want to do my duty, but do it in a haughty, unloving way because I don't think the Lord is pleased with that. And so he finishes here in verse 3, but with charity, if I give all away all I have, and, and the word there is a, is a, in a, a continuous uh, tense where he, it, it, this is my lifestyle. I'm a person who gives away all. I'm not, this is not a one-time act. It's a continuous thing. I'm a charitable person. Or um, I deliver up my body to be burned. So, and there you see the, the ultimate sacrifice. I am a man who, who gives away whatever I have if, if need be. I'm a man who will even give up my life, and yet, astoundingly, it's possible to do that and be nothing, gain nothing from it. Again, others might be blessed by it. You have gained nothing in it. So you see that it's a personal motivation. Is, is this, do you want to receive the well done that would a faithful servant and to enter into the blessing of the Lord and to, and to, and to have reward in heaven. Well, you're, you're, our, our motivations must be part of the equation. <clears throat> so he's speaking of someone who, who gives, has a life of helping others, not, not someone who does it occasionally, but the real deal. But only love qualifies that with spiritual fruit. So every way we try to define Christianity fails if the glory of God and love for others aren't part of it. That's, that's why Jesus can say that love is a fulfillment of the law. There, there is no Christianity apart from love. <clears throat> there, there's religion, but there's not biblical Christianity. And so martyrdom finally then offers the ultimate hyperbole or the ultimate overstatement. It is what we consider to be the ultimate sacrifice. Because it is, right? You, you can't do any more for whatever cause you might be dying for. It's the ultimate expression of devotion to the Lord. But it can be done for self-glory. 
and again, it, it, it's an overstatement. So it, it, it's a, it's probably very unlikely that many people died for the Lord just out of pride, right? But <clears throat> he's saying there's just there's nothing that's outside of this concept. No matter what it is, the motivation must be right, even martyrdom. But, but again, I think martyrdom by and large would be the one act that would show your devotion to the Lord. But, but is this not a clear difference between the true faith and, and Islam, for instance? <clears throat> to them, it's okay to martyr yourself. And again, you really can't martyr yourself. Martyrdom is uh, dying for the Lord, right? But they will martyr themselves, which is really committing suicide. And murdering people while you do it, because martyrdom without taking a few people with you is, is not really acceptable martyrdom, right? So it's okay to martyr yourself and murder people at the same time. It's, it's legitimate to express hatred for others while you die for your God, Allah. It's just, <clears throat> how different is our giving of our lives to the Lord in whatever way, capacity he wants? as opposed to false religion. <clears throat> but their martyrdom had self-interest all the way through it. The Christian's hope is to be with Jesus and to find fulfillment in that, to, to find fulfillment in giving all glory to the Lord and just basking in his glory forever. The Muslim's hope is to share a lot of women. They, they literally martyr themselves to get they're 70 virgins. <coughs> but not for, the, not for Allah's glory. That's secondary at best. The Lord speaks of our reward in heaven, but that is only part of what we are waiting for. And the older I get, the more I, I, I understand this to some degree. I want to be in heaven so that I no longer have to deal with this sinful body. Yeah, I don't like to deal with the physical pain and suffering of getting old, for instance. But more than that, I'm, I'm just tired of, of, of the sin that I can't seem to do much about. And I'm tired of, of, the, of the sin in this world, and I want to be in a place where I, I just can enjoy Christ and I don't have to deal with the, the sin in my life, the sin all around me, right? I want to be able to rejoice in my Savior who has graciously saved me in spite of myself. The Lord is gracious to us, but he, and he also gives us good things in eternity. But our reward is based on the conformity to Christ and our love for others, not in murdering people, but in being conformed to Christ. So, he says, if, if this is your, this is you, he says, he says, I gain nothing. So, we can be saved, but we can lose our way. Again, it's not to be discouraging. It's not to say that, well, boy, I might not be saved at all, or it's all a waste. It's, it's the Corinthians have lost their way. They, 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 they're, they're teaching the Bible. They're going through all the, the baptism in the Lord's table and all this stuff, but they, they have no idea why they're, what they're, why. They've lost their way. And Paul says, be careful here, because it's possible to be going through the motions, and, and you're not doing anything. 
Live and die for yourself, even while claiming to be living for Jesus, and you'll die like a pagan and accomplish nothing. So how can I motivate us to love any better than that, but to remind ourselves of the grace of God in Christ Jesus? The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, gains nothing, Paul says. If our motivation is right, though, the Lord has promised to bless us and to, to receive us into heaven and give us great reward. And it is, it is not, not enough. If I know that the Lord is pleased with an action, it's not about whether I get something for it. I'm actually doing, I'm actually giving my Lord the service due him. He, he's my Lord and Savior, and if I can do something to please him, that's all, that's all that matters at the end of the day anyway. So there's no religion that even begins to address the issues of the Bible. The Corinthians are religious, but they were not God. And I guess that's what the text is saying, right? I don't want to be religious. I want to be godly. I want to do things because I love the Lord. And let him, let him bless. Let him do with it as he will. Let me focus, though, on my motivation. And I think that uh, things will go a lot better for us, right? I think that we'll have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. We'll get along with each other better. Uh, and we'll have a better uh, compassion for uh, those within and without. Uh, you know, if we just have a motivation, right? And don't forget that we are just sinners saved by grace and give our will the honor to this All right, we'll stop there today. Any questions or comments? Pray, Lord, that you would help us to be on this passage. Uh, that we would, first of all, having a proper understanding of what's in the world, that we would not be confused by what the Lord tells for us. Thank you.